1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> and the message today is um, really for those of you um, who have already decided to serve and follow Christ. Uh, whether you have made that decision at kneeling here at an altar, or an altar in your church, or at a camp setting, or Maybe if you were one of those that raised your hands last week, uh, Dr. Vassell told me many raised their hands when he spoke during the revival that, yes, I want to be a follower of Christ, I want to serve Christ, uh, I want to love him all the days of my life. If you are one of those, this message is for you. Uh, it is specifically for you as far as my preparation is concerned. Uh, though the Holy Spirit often has different plans from what I prepare. So I ask that all our hearts be open. And for those of you that have not yet made that commitment, for those of you who have not yet chosen to serve and follow Christ, uh, you'll be given the opportunity today to see what is expected of Christ's followers and what is expected of this community. So let us go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-5. through 5. Will you please stand for the reading of God's Word? This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his or her commendation from God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word has been spoken. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, we trust in you now to speak to our hearts and to our minds and to our lives that we might become more like you. Let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, which he had started, which he had begun a few years earlier. And there is some confusion in the church, some theological confusion. There are some issues in the church, some issues of morality going on, which he covers in his letter. There are some issues of who do they follow? Do they follow Paul? Do they follow Apollos? And he addresses some of that in the earlier chapters, in 1, 2, and 3. But now in chapter 4, he shifts his focus and moves into the fact of what can you expect of those who are called followers of Christ. More specifically, what can you expect of here in this text of apostles? What can you expect of us? But for us as Christians and, and followers of Christ, we are all called to ministry. We are all called to serve. So Paul is saying this is what should be expected of us. First, we are to be a servant of Christ. A servant was not one who was held against their will to... Uh, to work on someone's property or land or in someone's home. A servant is one who chose to be there, maybe hired by the household. A servant was one who chose to be there by their own free will. And they chose and dedicated their life to serve a person or a family. So Paul is saying we are servants of Christ by our own free will, by our own choosing. We choose to serve and follow Christ. 
And Paul is saying that is what you should expect of us. That is how we will live. That is how we will conduct our lives. That is how we will conduct our personal lives. That is how we will conduct our relationships, our homes, our schoolwork. We are followers of Christ. And the light of Christ will shine within us. So we are servants of Christ. It's not about us. It's about the light of Christ that now shines within us. We are servants of Christ. You can expect that of us. Hold us accountable to that. So those of you who I've mentioned earlier may not have made that commitment to serve and follow Christ you can, you can choose to hold us accountable I ask that you do that we demonstrate the love and mercy and grace and peace and justice of Christ because we are servants of Christ we are servants in Christ and we are stewards of the mysteries of God stewards of the mystery of God now a steward would be a, the highest ranking servant if you will in a household uh, or the highest ranking slave in many situations. And everything in the household would be entrusted to that steward. The house, the belongings, the finances, even the children to get them to and from school to make sure they get their education. Everything would be entrusted to that steward, but nothing belonged to that steward. That steward owned nothing, but was responsible for much. Again, responsible for the finances responsible for the business of the home and caring for the children. And so Paul is saying, as followers of Christ, you can expect of us, Christ followers, to be good stewards that all that God has entrusted to us. We will be good stewards and, and take care of it. Take care of these, or proclaim these mysteries of God. We will be stewards of the mysteries of God. And the mysteries of God have been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. The good news, the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been revealed to us in Jesus. The mysteries of God. What is God like? We can look to Jesus. How does God expect us to live? We can look to Jesus. How, what does God expect us to proclaim? Let us look to see what Jesus proclaimed. So as followers of Christ, we must be good stewards of this mystery of God, the mysteries of God, and, and be faithful in all that God asks of us and live as Christ lived. To live as Christ. We are stewards of the mystery of God. So we are servants of Christ, and we are stewards of the mystery of God. But Paul doesn't stop there. He adds more responsibility to us. He puts more weight upon our shoulders. He says, moreover, it is required that stewards be found trustworthy. That we always be, be found trustworthy. That we can be trusted in our relationships. That we can be trusted in our finances that we can be trusted in the classroom, that we can be entrusted in every area of life that God has blessed us with. Much like the song has said, God has given us much, and all that God has given, we will be good stewards of, and we will be deemed trustworthy. It's interesting how he goes on to say, and very challenging, he says, it matters very little to me that you judge me. Now, I don't know about you, but I, that matters a lot to me what people think of me, the perception they have. I don't leave the home anymore unless I ask my wife, Edie, does this look okay, what I'm wearing? Because I'm worried how much fun you will make of me if it doesn't look right. Some of you do so more than others. Your opinions matter to me. And yet Paul says, you know, just so you know, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. Which is a little confusing because 
here, I, as I've started this message saying that those who aren't followers of Christ, I want to let you know you can hold us accountable. We will be servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God and be trustworthy in all things. And then he says, but it is a very small thing for me to be judged by you. He goes on to say, or by any human court, because earlier on when Paul was starting the church in Corinth, the courts tried to intervene and made accusations against him. And he says, he goes on to say, I'm not even aware of anything against myself. He's saying, I'm not even aware of anything that I've done that's necessarily wrong. It matters little to me what you think of me and, and what I think of myself right now. I, I'm not aware of anything that I've done wrong as far as I know. Um, you know, I'm a good follower of Christ. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. He's saying, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but that doesn't mean I'm, I'm innocent. And then he says these powerful words, It is the Lord who judges me. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment against anyone before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Paul's saying, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent because... There could be things within my own heart that I don't even recognize and I don't see and the, the Lord must reveal and will show that to me. And when the Lord returns, the things that are now hidden in darkness will be brought to light. Those, those purposes of our heart will be revealed. This week at... Uh, before I went to Louisville, I was in New Orleans last week where chaplains from all over Christian colleges all over the country gathered for a conference and... Uh, I'd been in New Orleans for one day when uh, Edie and I were married. We took a cruise, and that was one of the ports that we stopped in. But we were there for, for three days, and I needed to be in Louisville on Sunday, but the conference ended on Friday. And I thought, well, I'll just stay in New Orleans an extra day and walk around the French Quarter. I uh, went out to a plant, took a tour of a plantation and the history of the plantation tour on Saturday. But Saturday afternoon, I learned <coughs> that Mardi Gras season officially began on Saturday. I was in a hotel room in the French Quarter by myself for Mardi Gras. It matters very little if you judge me on this, as Paul says, or any human court. So I'm walking around New Orleans and, uh, for Mardi Gras season, and people are throwing beads, and there are people on in the balconies and it's, it's still light out uh, it's about 5 o'clock and things are getting a little wild and not you know I didn't see anything inappropriate but there is some partying going on in the streets and I ended up sitting down to listen to two street musicians this violinist and this guitarist they were two, two ladies they were incredible I bought one of their CDs so I listened to them for like 45 minutes and I realized as I'm listening to them crowds are sitting next to me on the curb and they weren't just listening to musicians, they were getting ready for the evening parade, the first parade to begin the Mardi Gras season. And soon there were thousands of, thousands of people in the streets. And uh, so I'm sitting next to this couple and we're talking. I said, you know, I didn't even know Mardi Gras began, so I thought I'd check out the first party. And they said, what do you do? And I'm a chaplain, da, da, da. I'm at Eastern Nazarene College. They go, oh, our son's a sophomore at Olivet Nazarene University. Probably the only three Nazarenes in New Orleans, we ended up sitting next to each other. So I said, 
please don't tell your son you saw the chaplain from ENC at Mardi Gras. Which is, how would I explain that to Olivet Nazarene University? I don't know how I would do that. But as, the, uh, as it drew dark, people started saying, yeah, this is the parade of fertility. And they said, it will be the raunchiest and raunchiest parade of the Mardi Gras season. And I said, I think I'll go back to the hotel now. And I did. And worked on this sermon, of all things, interestingly enough. But I think of how, the, how Paul says, that which is hidden in darkness, the Lord will bring to light. And I want to hold myself accountable to you. I really was um, trying to be who God calls me to be in that situation, even though I would never intentionally schedule myself to be in Mardi Gras in the French Quarter by myself for the fertility parade. I just want to get that out there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. But then a few days later in Louisville, the choir had a long day. They got up, uh, I guess it was, it was a Monday, they got up at 3.30 and left here for, at about 3.45 to get to the airport. Um, and they had, right when they arrived around noon, they had to be at rehearsal, and then they were in the evening session, and then there was this prayer service that was going from 10.30 to, uh, uh, for, from 10 o'clock to 12.30, and they wanted us to lead the first hour of prayer, which was cut down to a half hour because the, the plenary session went long. And uh, Hutt got up to lead the first hour of prayer, and I told the whole choir, I said, listen, when this is over at 10.30, I know all the other Nazarene colleges are praying until 12.30. Let's just, you guys go to bed. All right, you've been up since 3.30. So Hutt gets up and says, you know, uh, as we begin this time of prayer, I know we're all tired. We started at 3.30, but, you know, Jesus was tired as well when he was praying in the garden. And it, he's right, it was a beautiful, Hutt really walked us right into prayer. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing, and Michael Payne leans over to me and says, Boy, Hood just put us in a tough spot just now. Do we have to stay till 1230? <laughs> and I told the choir to go on to bed, and, but I felt like I should stay and support the other schools, so I stayed as Olivet then led an hour of prayer and, and Mid-American uh, Mid Nazarene led an hour of prayer. And there was a time all the ENC students had gone to bed, I hope, um, and I was tired and exhausted and kind of fallen asleep. And it was a time of prayer confession. And I thought as I was kneeling there, I was going through my mind, the Lord will disclose the purposes of the heart. And he says, do you have anything to confess? And I'm thinking of all these other Nazarene colleges, and I started to think of the jealousy that I have towards other schools. Uh, Olivet Nazarene University has got a $25 million chapel. Beautiful. I'm like, oh man, why couldn't we have a $25 million chapel? I started to think about... people that uh, I'm critical of for no other reason than the fact that I'm simply jealous of them. It was in that prayer time of being tired and exhausted and feeling like I had to stay that the Lord started to reveal to me some sin in my own heart. And if I am to be a servant of Christ and a steward of the mystery of God, I must be willing to hear from God when he says, you know, those thoughts or those actions or the way that you are living, Corey, that is, that is not of me. That is not Christian. Before that prayer time, especially after I escaped the streets of New Orleans, I, like Paul, could say, I am not aware of anything against myself. I'm not aware of anything. I could have said the same thing, but it is the Lord who judges me, and it is the Lord that will reveal things to us. So, are there things within your heart 
in the way that you are living. And you may think, I'm living the way God wants me to, but maybe the Lord wants to reveal something to you that you don't even see. I know the definition for sin for many of you you've heard growing up is missing the mark, but John Wesley has a definition of sin like this. It says, a willful transgression against a known law of God. A willful transgression against a known law of God. Now, before that prayer time, I was not even aware of that sin that I was carrying. I mean, I knew I was jealous of the $25 million chapel, and I was working through that. But jealous of other people and their gifts and their talents and becoming bitter towards them, that was like building within me, and I didn't recognize it. I didn't see it. A willful transgression against the known law of God, and the moment the Lord revealed it to me, then I knew I had to confess. For I did not want to continue in the way of sin. Yes, it is a small thing to be judged by you or by any human court, but it is the Lord who judges me. And just because we are called to be servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God, just because we are called to be found trustworthy, and I hope that is the way we as followers of Christ choose to live our lives, that does not give us permission to pronounce judgment on others. That does not give us permission to pronounce judgment on others that do not live the same way that we do. God does not call us to pronounce judgment on others, but I do believe we are required, I believe I am required, to call you to a way of living, to call you and challenge you to a way of holy living, to say, you know what, there is a better way. To see things in our lives, and I hope... My wife will point out my faults hourly. I have friends that will point them out from time to time, and we need to be in those types of relationships and in those types of faith communities where we can say, you know, Corey, I hope you have those types of friendships in your life where someone can say, you know, that's, that's not of God. I'm not trying to judge you. I'm just trying to say, you know, God's calling us to a holy lifestyle, a holy way of living. I will not pronounce judgment, but we are to live our lives in a way that glorifies Christ. We are servants of Christ and His light must shine through us. We are stewards of the mystery of God and we must be faithful with all that He has entrusted to us like we sang earlier. Are you living the life as a servant of Christ and a steward of the mystery of God? Are you being faithful to all that He has given to you and entrusted to you? We are to be a servant of Christ and a steward of the mystery of God. And though we are not to pronounce judgment upon others, we must live our life proclaiming the message of Christ. We must live our lives proclaiming the goodness and grace of Christ. Where we see things in the world that are not Christian, we must call them out. That's not being judgmental. That's just bringing Christ into the situation. When we see injustices in the world, we must call them out and recognize them and change our way of living and not contribute to it. Now, many of you could be thinking, I don't know, that, you know, you talk about not being a place of judgment, but yet ENC has these rules and regulations we're supposed to follow. And please understand that as a community of faith, we believe we are to be a a community of holiness. And that we don't want to contribute or live in a way or have things take place in this community that could hurt someone in their life, that could hurt someone in their spiritual journey. Just this week, just this week, heard of a pastor that I know that you do not know who faithful, went to a good Christian college, has served in the church for many years. He's had to resign his credentials. His ministry is over for now in the church. He's going through the restoration process because he hid an addiction pornography for years. 
and it started to man itself in other ways and other things and his marriage may be over if, if, if God's grace is just not intervening in a real and powerful way. So I know we get a hard time and the chaplain gets a hard time. I remember I... Give me a moment. I went to IT a, a few years ago and said these Craigslist sites I'm concerned about. Because the fact of the matter, we have members in this community and the ENC and Wallace and others who go to these random hookup things on Craigslist, which I think now are illegal. They weren't just a few years ago. I think the government has stepped in. I said, I like them taken down. If we can't, if we can't block those specific sites, those specific areas of Craigslist, can we take Craigslist down for now until we can figure it out? And within two days, IT is great. They're wonderful. They're just geniuses. They were able to shut down that specific portion of, of Craigslist. And I remember getting emails and seeing Facebook posts and even Facebook groups about blocking Craigslist. How could you do this? But you know, we have some people in our own community that are hurting. And for some reason find or feel that's the only place they can find love or a relationship or someone that will care for them. And it's not safe. We know that by living in Quincy, where the Craigslist killer was from. It may seem like rules and regulations or that we're pronouncing judgment at times, but we are called to live as a, a community of holiness and sometimes that is, is, is living in a way that's protecting us from things that could harm someone in their spiritual journey. We are to live our lives in a way that proclaims the messages of Christ and allow our message, not our words of judgment, but the way we live, allow that to be your message had a privilege of meeting an artist named Sean Groves and was listening to his lyrics to a song. I, I just heard the song last week. And I think his words really capture what I'm trying to say. It's not about pronouncing judgment. It's what Dr. Vassell told us about. Love God. Love people. He must have said that in every message. Love God. Love people. This is a song called Jesus by Sean Groves. When we love the least, when we love the weak, when we love these, we love Jesus. And then he describes those who we are to love when we love Jesus. We love Jesus, Jesus trying hard to quit. Jesus turns another trick. Jesus raising two alone. Jesus drives a heavy load. When we love the least, when we love the weak, when we love these, we love Jesus. Jesus with worn and wrinkled hands. Jesus sows a patch of land. Jesus hides a tattooed arm. Jesus keeping dinner warm. Jesus waves a foreign flag. Jesus rings a washing rag. Jesus leans on prison bars. Jesus swinging in my yard. I think Sean captured it good when he says, whether it's talking about his daughter swinging in the yard or a single mom or a prostitute, we must view them as Jesus and love them in such a way and not pronounce judgment. But we can say, you know, there is a better way. There is a way that Christ has called you to live and it is so much better and in it you will find freedom and joy and peace. And let me conclude with the good news of this message today for those of you who are followers of Christ. It says in verse 5, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the Lord comes who will bring light to the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his or her commendation from God. Being a follower of Christ or accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've done that, wherever you did that, was not just to be saved from something. 
Yes, you, will be, you were being saved from, from being separated from God for all eternity. You were being saved from hell because Christ died on the cross for our sins. He paid the price. We were saved from being separated from God for all, from God for all eternity. But we were not just saved from something. We were saved for something. We were saved to be servants of Christ. We were saved to be stewards of the mystery of God. We were saved so that we might be found trustworthy as we seek to serve and follow Christ. You were not just saved from something. You were saved for something. So how are you living? Are you being faithful with all that God has given and trusted to you? Are you being a servant of Christ and a good steward of all that He has given? We were not just saved from something. We were saved. We were not just saved from something. We were saved for something. I had asked Rick and Lambert to do a song for us in closing that we were going to sing together. I don't know about you. I'd like to hear Rick sing that last hymn that we sang. Rick, would you mind doing that for us and allow that to be our benediction? And allow Rick to minister to us for the hymn that he had selected, we hadn't even spoken about, I think captures well what the word of the Lord was saying to us.